0: Revelation chapter 14, um, this is a chapter that many chapters in Revelation focus on one theme or one topic. Chapter 14 is a little bit different. Chapter 14 hits several topics within itself, so we're going to spend some time kind of focusing on each and every one of those uh, as we um, do that. But uh, first, would you join me in prayer just one more time? Lord God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the beautiful weather you've blessed us with, Father, and this last couple of days. And with all the rainfall we've had, Lord, um, you're in control of all of that. Lord, you're God, and we're not. And we're glad you're God. You have everything under control. You know exactly what we need, when we need it. And we rest in that, Lord. And Father, you bring us a peace that only you can bring. And we're going to talk about that tonight in the chapter. And I want to thank you, Lord, for revealing that to me this week in a very powerful way. And I pray that as that goes out to the folks tonight and to those online listening, I pray it's a major blessing to them as well. So Holy Spirit, move mightily, we pray in your name. Amen. So um, an update, a real quick update. Uh, last week, uh, we talked about, in chapter 13, we talked about the, the two-thirds, the final two-thirds of that diabolic, evil uh, trinity that we've been talking about in chapters 12 and 13. Uh, t- chapter 12, the dragon being Satan, um, and then into uh, chapter 13, we talked about the Antichrist and uh, his helper, the false prophet. So a Trinity, an evil Trinity, a counterpart to the Holy Trinity, the one that you and I serve. We serve a triune God. And during that, what we discovered was, I was able to bring some uh, publications with me that you might remember that I was able to read to you. One of those, interestingly enough, uh, happened to be about the CBDC, the Central Bank Digital Currency, if you remember. And the reason why I thought that was so important for us to know is because a couple of reasons. One, it's happening now. It's current. These are current events. And any time when you have the Bible, God's word, a third of this book is prophecy, okay? And so what we like to do is when we see headlines match up with what Scripture says, that's when we get excited. That's when we go, oh, yeah, Lord. Oh, yeah. This is going to be awesome because we start to see things develop We start to see things come to fruition right before our very eyes. And so I can't help it when I see things like that. I just want to share it, and I share it with you guys. I share it with people at work. They're probably tired of hearing me, but it is what it is. But I brought a publication, several, but one was about the CBDC, the central bank digital currency, and the scariness that's involved with that. And I had told you that it had already gone to legislature uh, and voting in South Dakota. And when the governor, Christy Noem, was asked at that time what she planned on doing about it, she said, not sure. So that's okay. Wasn't really sure what we were dealing with. The thing is this. These bills that get introduced, this was Senate Bill 1193, I believe. These things are 100, 200 pages long. And lobbyists press these issues and they press these bills onto these people in power, these senators or whatever, that vote for them. And here's what it basically says. It's no big deal. It's just this, this, and this. And it it sounds really good on the surface. And so it passed, but guess what? Christy Nome did do something about it, and she vetoed it. Amen? Amen? How cool is that? Yeah. Yeah. Praise the Lord. That's really awesome. And the cool thing is this, so what happens now? So she vetoes it. So in about a week and a half, they will reassemble, and they reassemble, they come back together for voting for one, one day, and that's called veto day. And what that basically entails is that she has to prove and explain why she vetoed this bill. And they will either accept that explanation, or they won't, and it will pass. So we're really praying that that does not pass because the reason why she's going so public with this is she read it for herself and she sees the danger of how dangerous and how much control the government will have. They're literally redefining money. They're redefining what money means. And they want that digital currency because if you and I go to that, they can control what we buy, when we buy, how much, how much you save, how much you won't save. If you're hoarding money, they'll take some. You can't hoard and save digital, you know? So it's really scary. She saw it for what it is. She vetoed it. And so they go back into session in about a week and a half now, and um, they will have a veto day, and hopefully it stands. So we're praying for that. So that's just an update uh, on what we talked about last week. Now, Revelation chapter 14. Again, this covers many areas. It covers covers, uh, many topics, and we will look at them one by one. But remember, John is seeing with his own eyes what the Lord is revealing to him. Now we're going to see some future events in this chapter. We're also going to go back and look at the very, very far past. But remember, when we're talking about this sort of thing, we have to remove ourselves out of this linear timeline that you and I exist on this past, present, future, you know, horizontal line that we're traveling on. God is outside of time, and he's outside of this time-space continuum, and he is free to move about any way he sees any way he pleases. So he's literally showing John things, and he's showing him this, and then he's showing him that, a future event, on how it ties to the past, and now here's what's going to happen in the near future, but this is the far future. And we sometimes can get dizzy trying to figure out how this all goes, but if we just kind of keep it in perspective and in context, um, it becomes pretty clear about how God operates and what he is showing John as we go along. We start the book, or we start the chapter here, chapter 14, verse 1. This is John. He says, Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. This is a future, future event that we're seeing here. We hear the word Zion and we think, whoa, Zion. So, earthly Zion or in heaven? And I would suggest to you, well, kind of both. What do you mean? This is that time when Jesus comes back to Zion or also known as Jerusalem. It's been referred to as Jerusalem or Zion. And this is when Jesus sets up and inaugurates his heavenly or his earthly kingdom here on earth in Jerusalem the beginning of that millennial reign that he will have. And who's with him? This 144,000 that is referenced in our text. That may ring a bell to you. Remember we talked about 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe that represented each tribe back in chapter seven. Do you remember that? And those 144,000, 12,000 taken from each of the 12 tribes would be saved, quite literally, through the tribulation time. Not one would be lost. So if I were to title this message, I would title it, They All Made It. Because we're seeing a future picture of how they all made it. Not one was lost, and they are with the Lord, the Lamb, quite literally, as they're uh, on Mount Zion or heavenly Zion, Jerusalem, uh, as Jesus sets up his kingdom. Now, I want to bring to you a contrast that I think is worthy of you guys knowing. Turn back to Exodus. We're going to go all the way back. And this contrast is important, I believe, because when the children of Israel went to Sinai, to get the law, we're going to look at what that was like. Exodus chapter 19, and if you would go to, we'll start in verse 16. Exodus 19, and we'll start with verse 16. The children of Israel were going to Sinai. They were around Mount Sinai, and Moses was sent, and this is where they approached to receive the law. And what was that like? Well, verse 16, Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in camp trembled quite literally with fear. Verse 17, and Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke before the Lord descended upon it in the fire, excuse me, in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. This is interesting because this is the picture of them around Sinai. Now remember, a few verses ahead of this, and you can read it for yourself at the beginning of chapter 19 they were not even to go onto the mountain. If anyone was, went onto the mountain, he was to be stoned or shot with an arrow. Those were your choices. Uh, and an animal too, if a beast crawled up, because literally this is the presence of God and he's bringing the law. But here's what it was like. It must have been like a, a prehistoric dinosaur movie. This mountain that smoke is on and, and fire is coming down, and thunderings, and this loud trumpet. Quite literally, they're trembling because of fear. They begged that God's voice would just stop because it was so trembling and so terrifying. That was the law. In other words, the picture is this to mankind. This is how serious God is about sin. Sin is serious business, and it took the law as a tutor, we're told, To help us understand that, we can't keep the law, you and I. And because of that, we fail and we sin. And so there were ordinances and things set in place for them to atone uh, somewhat for their sin, but it just covered their sin. So that's the picture of this. Now, in contrast, guess what? Now jump over with me. We're going to go all the way to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 9 what we just talked about would be the establishment of the first covenant but now let's look at what's called the the superior covenant hebrews chapter 9 i'll begin reading verse 8 the holy spirit indicated this that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices were offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to conscience. Keep that in your mind for just a moment. Verse 10, concerned only with foods and drink, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling with the unclean uh, sanctifies for all purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. This is the superior covenant. So the law was there to get man's attention of, hey, you're bad, you break laws, and here's the law to prove that you break laws, and you can't keep them, but that wasn't good enough. Jesus himself, without spot, came and became that sacrifice, but it touched something deeper. It cleansed something deeper. Before, it said, well, food and drink and various cleanliness of the flesh, but not your conscience. But now, Our conscience can be cleaned because of this superior covenant. Isn't that cool? It's a deeper part of you that God can cleanse that couldn't be before. How neat. And finally, let's go to, I got you guys hopping around, so keep your fingers active here. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, I want you to see this as well. Hebrews chapter 12, now here's our contrast The first approaching to Sinai to get the law was, ooh, you know, thunderings and and lightning and and smoke and fire and scary. Don't even touch the mountain. You'll die. You'll get stoned or you got to get killed with an arrow. That was the punishment. But now Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See the difference? Now we come to a beautiful holy city, Zion, the holy heavenly Jerusalem, if you will, brought down to as Jesus goes in and sets up his millennial reign in Jerusalem, the new covenant in Jerusalem, a a place where innumerable angels, the sons of God, those who were saved, You and me will be there, but guess what our text tells us? The 144,000 are there, and that's what is so exciting. So there's a contrast there. We have the superior covenant that we are able to partake of, you and I, today. Now, verse 2, back at our text, Revelation 14, verse 2, And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. Sound beautiful. Isn't that the picture that most people have of heaven, like harps? You're floating around. Well, here it is. This is probably where they get it. Harps. Harpists playing on their harps. Beautiful, but loud and just boisterous. Verse 3. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. Why? How come they are the only ones that get to sing that song? Because do you realize they will be hunted vigorously by the Antichrist? and his forces, the trial that they will face, the unbelievable pressures that they will endure, uh, the tribulation that they will be in and, and, and running from, but at the same time, pure and serving God wholeheartedly. These are the ones that we kind of reference as the, it's been said before, the 144,000 grams in that time because they're evangelizing. They're spreading the gospel, and guess what? They are gonna be hated by the Antichrist, by the world system, and they are gonna, ex- they're gonna experience tremendous tribulation. And because of that, they're given a song to sing that only they can sing. Why? Because of that intense tribulation. And you know, the same thing can happen to you and I. The troubles and trials and tribulations that you and I experience, whatever it is in your life, think about that. Fill in the blank. You know, being uh, one who perseveres through that pain, heartache, trial, trouble, whatever it is. At the end of that, the Lord will give you a song too in your heart. One that you can identify with. That only you sing because only you went through that trial to that degree. It was personalized to you. It's like, what? what? What do you mean personalized to me? God has us going through troubles and trials for a reason right now. Whatever it is in your life, whatever it is that you're experiencing, the trial, the trouble, the heartache, the, the depression, whatever the case may be, he has you going through it for a reason and he's going to give you a song that only you will be able to sing as well, deep down in your innermost body and your innermost being in your heart that I wouldn't be able to sing because he gave it to you because you went through that trial, not me. I went through my own, and he's going to give me a song as well. He gives them a song that only they can sing. Now, verse 4, there are the ones who were not defiled with women. So these are the ones that are not defiled with women. Now watch this, for they are virgins. They are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lord. These were holy individuals. They were sold out for God. In a time that has yet to come, it's not been here yet, obviously, this is a future event, but the pressure that they are under is unbeknownst to us. We think we got pressure. We think we have problems. The 144,000 will experience extreme pressure, and they're going to be living in a lawless society, one that... They really just don't have like, people like you and me to say, hey, that's wrong, like we do. We're, the, we're in the way. We're Christians, and we're calling out the deceit. We're calling out the lie. But when we are gone and when we are raptured, there's going to be a lot less of that in the world. And these 144,000 will be under tremendous pressure. But you know what? They stay pure. They stay pure. You know why? It tells us. Check this out. Let's see, I wanted to, maybe I missed it. Oh, I'm on the wrong column, you guys. Let me get over here. Watch this, verse 5. And in their mouth was found no deceit. Another word for that would be falsehoods. Is there deceit in your mouth? Is there falsehoods? There was none in these people. And they are without fault before the throne of God. They are holy. They are set aside, purified, sanctified, and all the other cool words we can think of that regards them. It puts them in a light that they're, they're so on fire for the Lord. That's all they think about is the Lord and spreading the gospel. I've told you before, it's believed that the greatest revival ever throughout all of humankind will be during this time. And it's because of these individuals who stay pure in a world that is unbelievable pressure to cave and to give in. The world's hitting them at all angles and guess what? You know what, nope. Because all they can think about is spreading the gospel. There is no deceit in their mouth, it's all truth. That's refreshing. Right, And that's all they they think about the Lord and spreading the gospel, and there is no fault in them before the throne of God. Wonderful. Now watch this. Verse 6, John speaking here, then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, Tongue and people couple of things here. It's been said before, and I kind of like this, that the hundred and forty four thousand are kind of like the ground troops because they're on the ground and they're they're in the trenches, man. They're they're feeling the heat They're They are taking zingers here and there and the pressure and the tribulations that they're going through They're They're the soldiers on the ground. But then these angels come in and they're like air support. And here's this first angel that comes in. And what does this angel say? It says here that he's in the midst of heaven flying, so he's flying back and forth, and he ha- he's in the midst of heaven having an everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth. You want to know another reason why this is going to be one of the most amazing revivals of all time? It's because not only do you have 144,000 evangelists that are so on fire keeping themselves pure Because they have a greater cause. And that is to get the gospel out to everyone that they come in contact with. But now you have, on top of that, you have angels who fly in the air. We're going to read about two more. But this one specifically is preaching the gospel as well. How neat is that? So you have the 144,000. You have this one angel who's flying, preaching the everlasting gospel to those who dwell on the earth. Every nation, tribe, tongue... So they're going to know your language. It doesn't matter where you're from. You'll hear the truth. Saying with a loud voice, verse 7, Fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and springs of water. Any doubt who created the earth? Nope. Nope. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And these angels are saying the exact same thing. We see that all the way from Genesis, all the way to the book of Revelation, and everywhere in between, God is the creator. And he is the intelligent design, if you will. But they're proclaiming, this angel is proclaiming the gospel, and he's saying, um, give God the glory, fear God, and give glory to him. Now watch this. Angel number two, verse eight. And another angel followed saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So the first angel preaching the gospel saying, fear God and give glory to God, the creator of the heavens and the earth and the, and the waters and the springs. Now another angel comes flying in, and he's got a different, a bit of a different message. He says, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. Now why, does, why is, is fallen listed twice? Why is it said twice? Babylon is fallen, okay, cool. But is fallen? Babylon is fallen. Is fallen. I would suggest to you it's because of the reason why is Babylon is listed in two different types. Uh, um, I don't know the word, but it's listed two different ways in the Book of Revelation. One as a false religion. It's that false religious system that will be in place during the tribulation, filled with deceit from set up basically by the false prophet. And in this false religion, the false prophet will point people to worship the Antichrist. Okay, and we discovered that last chapter in quite uh, good detail there. But it's listed once as the false religious system that will be in place during those days, and secondly, it will be that oppressive economic system could it be the CBDC? That sounds pretty oppressive to me. Oh, on the surface, oh, just pass it. Oh, it's just bank stuff. <laughs> you don't want to read 110 pages of that. It, just pass it, and then we can see what's in it. See, someone watches the news. Um, but here's the deal. There will be an oppressive economic system in place that will be so oppressive, we've never seen the likes of it. And that's why I think it's so important that I mention to you what's going on right now because it's like, wow, could the, Lord, could you be showing us the beginnings of what will be in place? It's not in place yet. They're not ready for it initially to like initiate it, but they wanna start passing the language now. Let's get it passed, let's get these bills, let's get this into law. That way when we do it, oh, it'll be easy. And by the way, since we've met last, how many banks have gone under? And, and and smaller banks are falling too? Well, thank you, globally, and that's a great point because the central banking system gives the person the idea of one bank. And I found it very interesting that as banks were falling, uh, you know, basically going out of business and it's a really long, detailed, informative, uh, informative thing. But the bottom line is they were running out of money to pay on uh, withdrawals that companies were wanting to get. And so they were cashing in on these bonds that were worth nothing and they, you're going to go broke if you do that. And they did. And so one of the things that came out in the news this week I thought was interesting is that um, the larger banks are, go- are doing just fine and they can just go and we'll just absorb those banks. So now you have less and less and less banks. If you're down to four banks, how hard would it be to get to one central bank, a one world currency, one world economic system? I think the pieces are kind of falling into place. It was also brought up very interestingly enough, remember the 2008 crash, and they were all bailed out and everything like that. The feds came in, the federal government came in and bailed all these banks out, but they wanted something in return. It's like, well, what could that be? Do you know what that was? DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, all the way back in 2008. And none of us knew anything about it because we're like, what's that? Now we know, right, because of the pandemic, that's all we've heard. It's in our face, the deception. Diversity, equity, inclusion, and look where it got them. A lot of people were promoted to places that they should have never been because of incompetence, but because of the color of their skin, they did it. And that's, we're, see, we're reaping the benefits of that now. We're seeing that the banks fell asleep. And we're starting to see these things fall into place. Now, the federal government's coming in again and bailing out some of these banks. What are they gonna want in return? Well, we already got DEI. Could it be that now they want a CBDC established in return? These are things I think about, these are things that we're seeing, and it's scary if you're not a believer. (laughs) I really believe that when it gets really bad, guess what? You know what? I really truly believe, and I know you do too, we're going to be out of here before it gets really bad, but we are seeing it, the signs and the times. We're to be aware of these things, we're told that in the word. So Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that false religious system that is in place, that oppressive economic system that has been put into place. It's rendered powerless. That's what this angel's telling us. It's fallen, it's fallen. Verse nine, now a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, He himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone, watch this, in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Wow. This has to happen in front of the Lamb and in front of angels. That's kind of interesting. They will literally be burned and, and destroyed. But it goes beyond that. Verse 11, and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. How long is forever? And ever. <laughs> Have you ever sat and just thought, okay, forever. Yeah, but forever though. But yeah, there's no end, but yeah, but forever. And it just, in your mind, you just keep thinking that and it's like, It's overwhelming. Now, I love it when I'm thinking about being in heaven forever. It's like, oh, never-ending. But I think, man, what about the person who rejects Christ, dies in their sin, and they go to eternal torment? Because what does it say there? The smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And watch this. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image. And whoever receives the mark of his name, an angel is flying, give God the glory, cry out and fear God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. The other one's like, hey, that economic system that you've been uh, oppressed and that false religion, it's fallen, it's gone, it's powerless, it's powerless. Oh, also, don't take the mark of the beast. Why do you think that message is being told? You want to know why? Because people will be fighting themselves to get in line to receive it. We have this mental image, and I always have, of people like being held down. No, no, don't. You know, I didn't want it. No, it's going to be the exact opposite. They'll be fighting each other to get in line to get it. Why? Because their life will be so much easier then. They'll be able to keep their job. They'll be able to go get Dairy Queen. <laughs> they'll be able to buy food. They'll be—you name it. They'll be able to. And the pressure on people that will hold out—they'll be like, "I'm just gonna go down there and just get the stupid thing." Sound familiar? Man, your life will be just so. You get to keep your job. I can just go into the theater and I can go there. And, And the thing about it, as I'm alluding, obviously, to the vaccine, the vaccine I never really had a problem with. People that were susceptible to certain illnesses and were in that state, cool. What I had a problem with is the way the government forced it on everybody as an experiment. We all saw it and we felt it. It was an experiment, plain and simple, and everyone who looks back on it knows that and sees it. They were playing to see how much power they could have over the people. And if you think there was pressure then, that is a paid vacation compared to what will be happening here. Because they will be under so much tremendous pressure to just go down and just get, you know, I'm going. And man, they're going to get in their car, and as they're driving, here's Hans Angel. Ah! What was that? Hits the windshield. Don't go get the mark of the beast. (laughs) Because if you do, quite literally... You're taking the beast side. And you will be in eternal, forever and ever, torment. A tormenting flame that never goes out, night or day. How long is forever? It's a pretty long time, turns out. And I find it interesting, too. The 144,000 back in chapter 7 were sealed by the seal of God. The non-believers who take the mark are marked. There's a difference. And in the Greek language, what it means to be sealed would be more like of a picture of a signet, like a, a king would put his signet ring into wax. Or he would entrust his signet with his like master craftsman to go to a distant land and and buy very choice lumber or wood or commodities, and they would put that on ships, and that trusted craftsman would have, would have the king seal his signet and put into that wax. That way, months later when it arrived, oh, that belongs to the king. These guys belong to the king, the 144,000, they're sealed. But marked, that's different. It's more of like a brand that you'd put on an animal. I think that's fascinating. That's just me. Okay. Verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Now watch this. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. What? Blessed are the dead. Blessed are those who die, basically? Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Why is that so important here? Because of the incredible tribulation tensions and trials that these people it's a quite literally hell on earth at this time and it's saying basically blessed are those who die why because they'll be in heaven they'll be in heaven with the lord escaped from this yes says the spirit that they may rest from their labors and watch this and their works follow them works what do you mean you know we've talked about it before how those who die without knowing the Lord will be judged and everyone there for everyone to see every sin, everything and they have to have an account why because their sin wasn't covered and washed away with the blood of the lamb. But yours and I's was. We realized we were sinners. We realized we needed a savior. We realize Jesus was that Savior because of what he did on the cross for our sins. And that blood didn't cover our sin like in the first covenant. No, it washed it away. In fact, and I've told you this before, the language is it's as though you have never sinned before. That's how clean you are. You're covered. Blessed is he who dies in the Lord from here on. Well, this isn't us. Why? Because we're not here. This is a tribulation period of time. But those who do die, those Christians, blessed, I escape this hell on earth, quite literally, and I get to be with the Lord. And guess what? My, My works as that person follow me. What works? The works that you did for the Lord with a clean and pure heart and a good, clean motive, just like you and me today. We worship the Lord, we we uh, labor for the Lord, we serve the Lord in various uh, uh, ministries throughout the church, and we do that with a pure, clean heart, a pure motive. Not, hey, everyone, look at me. No, it's like, Lord, may my service glorify you and further your kingdom with a pure, pure, clean heart. That's a work. And guess what that work Those types of works for these people, and when they die and escape this hell on earth, guess what, those works follow them and they're rewarded for that. How neat is that? They rest from their labors, rest. Are you tired? Raise your hand if you're tired. You guys want to go home? <laughs> In 35 minutes, we'll go. No, I'm just kidding. Sooner than that, I promise. <laughs> tired of me? No. <laughs> um, yeah, it's the time change that really messed me up. I don't mind falling back, but springing forward, the only good thing is that it like stays lighter longer. We want rest. But I want to I want to take you to a place. We're gonna to go to another scripture, and I just think this is amazing, guys. And I I I'm really praying that this encourages you because I was just blown away by it. Um you know, in back in the days of like the Titanic and and the, the ships and that sort of thing back in those days, I find it interesting because when they would tally up the number of people on board, um they didn't just say, oh, yeah, we have 550 people on board. You know what they said? Their language? Captain, we have 550 souls on board. That's cool. And I heard that, and I was like, that's interesting. 550 souls, why would they say it like that? I wonder if we'd say that today. Captain, yeah, we got got uh, 200 people on board. You know? But 200 souls, I wonder if they still say it. I wonder if like Carnival Cruise Lines, when they leave San Diego and they're headed down to Ensenada, Captain, 850 souls on board. Maybe they do. Maybe that's like a thing. I don't know. But back in the day, in those Titanic, if you read history and that sort of thing, that's what was said to the captains. And we're about to embark on our journey and 550 souls are on board. Why would they say that? I think it's because they had an understanding of that's what's important. Your soul. Your soul is what makes you, you. It's your innermost being. Matthew chapter 11. You got to see this. Please turn there. I should have told you to turn earlier. Matthew chapter 11. I love this. Of course, I love the red letters because that's Jesus talking, right to us. Matthew chapter 11, I want to take you to verse 28. And you guys know this one. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's what we want. But it goes further. Watch this. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. What? I I saw that and was like, how come I never saw that before? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you know what we really desire, and you don't even know it? You want rest for your soul and you don't even know it. No, I want rest from my dumb job or my coworker or I want I want rest from the my school. I want rest from my co I want rest from just stress. I want rest from my depression. I want rest from anxiety. I want rest from That's what I want. No, you want rest for your soul and you don't even know it. Jesus does. Jesus knows exactly what you want deep down. Your innermost part of you and who makes you you is wanting rest. And Jesus says, come to me, learn of me, and I will give you rest exactly where you really want it. And only he can do that. Remember the first covenant? Oh, that covers food and drink and cleanliness of the flesh and all that. But it didn't cover your conscience. The second covenant, oh, it's much bigger and deeper than that because it'll clean your conscience. Jesus can do that. Oh, I want rest from the stress and the world. No, you don't. Not really. You think you do. But deep down, what's really yearning for rest is your soul. And Jesus knows that. And he says, come to me. Learn of me and I'll give you rest for your soul the place that you really deep down want it. And we think we find rest in vacations and, and we find out vacations are more stressful than just staying at work. Sometimes you got to go back to work to get rest from what you just did, flying and layovers and why did we go? And we think we can do it and it's, guess what the lord says, just learn of me. He says, come to me. My yoke is easy, my burden is light, I'll give you rest for where you really need it and where you really deep down want it. Give you rest. That blesses me, that speaks to me. I hope it does to you too, (laughs) because I have a feeling I'm not the only one that's been (sighs) desiring rest. The thing is this, your stress at work's not gonna go away. Your stress at school isn't gonna go away. The stress around us in this life and in this world, it's not gonna go away. We say we want rest from all that stuff, but guess what? That's not necessarily all going to go away. But what the Lord says is I'm going to give you a deeper rest where you really need it is way deep down in your innermost part of you that only I can see and what I created and where you need it, and I'm going to give you that. Just come to me and learn of me. How do we do that? Well, We're doing it. We're spending time in God's word. Amen? Okay. And now verse fourteen, back in our text, then I looked and behold a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the son of man, having his head, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, thrust in your sickle and reap. For the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, and he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, who had power over fire. And he cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. It's believed that at this point in time during the tribulation that the possibility to become saved is over. It's hard to know for sure, but it sort of makes sense because if... The harvest is ready to go in and, and crush these grapes and to gather, then if there's someone still down there that's ready to get, that could be getting saved, it seems clear that it wouldn't be that time yet. So it's one of those things where we like, okay, Lord, you show us the clarity on that. But if you think about it, you know, the angels were flying back and forth through the sky. It seems as though that time is gone now. What about the 144,000? I thought they were Uh, doing, you know, the evangelists and spreading the gospel. Oh, they did. They were faithful. But do you remember back in Matthew chapter 24, specifically verses 15 through 36 when Jesus said, hey, when you see the, uh, the abomination of desolation, what are they to do? Get out now, flee, run. All those in Judea, do we live in Judea? No. He's not talking to us. Those who live in Judea, flee get out of there don't go down from your roof and get your things take off in other words jump off if you have to get out and perhaps that's their part of that exodus to go to safety remember they're going to flee to the wilderness is believed that that's going to be petra in present-day jordan Um, and it makes complete and total sense biblically so it seems clear that it's pretty much time. This is the end of the end, and it's time to go in for the harvest. What does that mean? Verse 19 So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city. Anytime the The word city there, that means Jerusalem. And blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridle for 1,600 furlongs or 180 miles. That is going to be the devastation. That's that last battle. We are coming back with Jesus and they're gonna turn their sights on him and it's gonna be lights out. And that, de- that Armageddon battle is going to be, it's going to be this long stretch of land, uh, 180 miles in this valley, and it says the blood will be filled up t- all the way up to the horse's bridle. That's going to be the devastation of these ones that think they can take on Jesus and the armies of heaven. And we'll see another picture of that later in the book. I won't get into it too deep right now. But I think it's interesting, though, how we want rest from a lot of things, and I'm going to close with this. We want rest from a lot of things, but we also want rest from just kind of the stuff that's happening in the world right now. We want rest from the deception and the, and the lies, and, and we're being bombarded constantly. And here's the thing. The promise is this. Jesus says, you come to me with not just those things, but what are you dealing with specifically in your life? What are you going through? What is your trial and your tribulation? Jesus said we'd have those tribulations, not to be confused with the tribulation that we've been studying. But tribulations, what are you dealing with? You know the answer to that question. And you want rest from it. And Jesus says, Come to me, learn of me. And guess what? I'm going to give you rest where you really, really need it, deep, deep down in your soul. The surface things that you think you need rest from, they may go, they may fade, they may intensify, they might still be there, they might not. But the point is this. I'm going to give you rest where you're really yearning for it, that part that makes you you in your soul. Amen? Only God can do that. Only Jesus can do that. I think that's an amazing encouragement for us tonight. Would you agree?